Now in Deuteronomy, we see Moses reminding the nation of Israel just how much God has blessed them with in the past and how he was about to bless them in the future with a new land, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's read Deuteronomy 8, the first 10 verses. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. You shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. And the chapter goes on to warn the Israelites. Moses goes on to warn them that in this good land that they not depend on the land, but that they still depend on the Lord, the one who gave the land. Now in response to our reading, let's sing of our confidence in our good God, our God who upholds our cause, knowing that without him all that we do would be in vain. Let's sing Psalm 127, the stanzas 1 and 2.
I understand that in your confessional reading, you've come to Lord's Day 50. Please turn there with me now, page 562 of your book of praise. Now, Lord's Day 50 details the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, a petition which may at first seem out of place in this very spiritual prayer. To go from hallowing God's name to God's eternal kingdom to God's perfect will to something as ordinary and mundane as bread seems to be a bit of a letdown. But as we'll hear in the sermon, our Lord prayed this prayer very wisely and very particularly. Let's read Lord's Day 50. What is the fourth petition? Give us this day our daily bread. That is, provide us with all our bodily needs so that we may acknowledge that you are the only fountain of all good and that our care and labor and also your gifts cannot do us any good without your blessing. Grant, therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in you. After the sermon, without further announcements, we will sing our Amen song of Psalm 136, the stanzas 1, 2, and 13. May God bless the preaching of the truths of his word. Beloved in Christ our Lord, have you ever felt guilty about being human? I know that I have. When I sit back and I reflect on our relatively short lives and think about how we spend our time, I feel rather guilty. I'm not referring here to the time that we waste, the time that we waste watching TV or on social media, but the things that we need to do just because of the fact that we're human. Think about sleep, for example. Out of the average lifespan of 79 years, A person will spend 26 years of that sleeping and an additional seven years trying to get to sleep. 33 out of 79 years, 42% of our lives. Nearly half of our short life is spent unconscious or trying to get that way. Or think about food. We don't spend nearly as much time eating as we do sleeping but we still spend an accumulated four and a half years eating. 5% of our time, 10% of our income is spent on food, something that presents us with very temporary pleasure, and even that only when the food is good. We need food, we need sleep in order to live, but when we compare such mundane, seemingly useless things with grander and more important things, such as thinking the deep thoughts of philosophy, seeking out the all-important will of God for our lives, working to bring about his amazing and eternal kingdom. But when I make these comparisons, they make me feel guilty and they make me feel weak. If only I didn't have to sleep, if only I didn't have to eat, how much more work could I do for the Lord? If only I wasn't so much of a human. And then, and then, We're told to bring these shameful weaknesses to God in prayer? It's one thing to deal with this embarrassment of being a human within yourself, but to bring it before God, the almighty creator of the universe, who never sleeps or slumbers, 
who's always working out amazing, wonderful, important things for his creation. It seems wrong to do that. And yet it's there in black and white in your Bibles. Matthew 6, verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread. And so for those who struggle with their humanity like me, there have been those who have sought to spiritualize the fourth petition. Bread, bread they say, is is a stand-in. It's a human metaphor for spiritual things. After all, Jesus said that he is the manna that came down from heaven. Jesus is the bread of life. So what our Lord is teaching his disciples and us today, they say, is for us to ask him for spiritual things. The fourth petition, they say, is for us to ask God for God. This prayer, this is prayer properly done, they think. We couldn't possibly be asking the almighty creator of the universe for something as human as bread. But let me challenge these people, let me challenge myself, let me challenge you if you feel this shame. Let me challenge you that in the fourth petition, it is what it is. Bread is bread, and God is God. In the fourth petition, it is what it is. Bread is bread. It's a challenge for some of us not to feel shame about being human. But, but take a step back with me. Where's the logic? Where's the logic about a human feeling shame about being a human? It's foolish. What else would we be? Fall or no fall, fruit or no fruit, human beings would be human beings, and we always will be. But aren't we called to something more, one of you may ask? Wasn't that the third petition that you would have heard recently? Your will be done. The Catechism says, may we carry out the duties of our office and calling as faithfully and willingly as the angels in heaven. Ah, yes, but look at that wording again. This petition does not require us to transform into God just for our will to be in line with his. This petition, it doesn't require us to transform into angels just for our willingness and obedience to be as faithful as theirs. Every single day of our lives, not just from womb to tomb, as we sometimes think, but from womb into eternity, we will be human. Let's pause here for a moment. In heaven, in heaven, we will still be human. In heaven, when we are freed from our weakness and sin, even then we will still be human. At that time, in, in our glorified state, when we are like God in, our ho- in holiness, when our bodies are transformed to be like his glorious body, we will still be human. We don't become God in heaven. So, As silly as it might seem for those who have never thought about their humanity with any sense of shame, let me say to you right now, it's okay to be human. You don't have to apologize for it. You don't have to feel private shame over a human being a human. This is how God created you. God created you to be a human. The pinnacle of his creation, human beings are created very good. Nothing else receives the same designation in the creation story. When God creates things that we think are so much greater and grander than us, he calls them good, but it's only people that he calls very good. It's okay to be human, and yet we don't like it. We feel that being human is the opposite of being spiritual. 
And so every time that Scripture speaks of something that is human, we feel the need to try to spiritualize it. And we do this in two ways. The first way is in seeing everything as purely spiritual right off the bat. We change the clear and simple meaning of Scripture to fit with our understanding. That's how some people interpret the book of Song of Songs. They're uncomfortable with the real human emotions and desires present in this book, and so they completely spiritualize the whole thing. This isn't about a man and a woman, they say. This is about God and the church. Marriage and sex, they're just metaphors for the things that really matter. That's not being fair to the clear meaning of Scripture. That isn't consistent with how God sees mankind as very good, as the pinnacle of creation. Or there are even those who spiritualize the birds that Noah sent from the ark. Maybe you've heard of this. They say, the raven represented the law, and so it came back empty, but the dove representing the gospel brought about salvation. Well, sometimes a raven is just a raven. And the same is true for this petition. Bread can't just mean bread, they say. After all, look at its position in the Lord's Prayer. How can bread come before forgiveness? How can bread come before strength to stand up under temptation? After all, doesn't Jesus himself say, man cannot live by bread alone? Let's examine this claim together. Let's take it seriously. They say bread can't just mean bread because of the order of petitions. Now here we have to be careful not to make too much of the order. After all, are we expecting, are we actually expecting that each petition is less important than the one that comes before? Where do we get this idea from? Is it the idea that if we're praying before bed and we fall asleep, at least we got the important ones out of the way first? Not really. We we don't apply this to any other area of Scripture. We don't apply this to the Beatitudes, that the poor in spirit are more blessed than those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake because they're first. That's not how any of this works. Now, to be fair, Jesus, he's not just putting these petitions in any random order, but we shouldn't assume that they're from most important to least important. And secondly, they they say, bread can't just mean bread because man cannot live by bread alone. Absolutely true that man cannot live by bread alone, but it's also true that man can't live without bread. And we heard the context of this quotation by Jesus in our reading. Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 when he said that. The context of man not living by bread alone is in God explaining how he provided his people with bread. It's not just bread. He also gave them his law. But it's also bread. Bread is necessary. Now, if the entire Lord's Prayer was simply the fourth petition then this argument might carry some weight to it. We clearly need God for more than just bread. Bread is not the be-all and end-all of our lives here, but it is an important aspect to them. And so that's the first mistake that we make. We spiritualize right off the bat. We see everything as purely spiritual. But then there's another mistake that we sometimes make. We don't spiritualize the things themselves. Bread can remain as bread, but what we do is we spiritualize the results. We spiritualize the motivation for these physical things. And here we have to be careful because there is some truth in this. 
It can rightly be said that through our daily bread, our Heavenly Father gives us the strength to hallow His name, to advance His kingdom, and to do His will. If we didn't have these physical things, we would not have the energy or ability to do any of these other things. But where we make the mistake is when we have such a firm separation between what is earthly and what is from God, what is valued by God, what is supernaturally worked out by Him. I say, well, of course, this world, what is worldly versus what is godly, Scripture makes this distinction all the time. It's true in a way, but what is of this world and what is worldly, they're not quite the same. Scripture distinguishes between what is fleshy and what is fleshly. What is fleshly belongs to our sinful nature. What is fleshy is just being human. So what exactly is it that makes this fleshy thing, we could say, our daily bread, what makes it more human, more ordinary than, say, the forgiveness of sins? Is it not the same God who created your body as well as your soul? Is not the growing of food through photosynthesis any less of a miracle than the others? What about the digestion of our bodies? All of this is truly a miracle. All of this only happens because of God's will. And where we get this really wrong is that we think even without praying for food, we will receive food. We can easily plant gardens of our own. We can go to the grocery store. We can go to a restaurant. What does God have to do with any of those things? Well, everything. He has everything to do with those things. And this petition is meant to remind us of that. We must pray for our daily bread so that we remind ourselves where it ultimately comes from. You may plant a garden yourself, but who sends the rain and the sunshine on the earth? Who's the one who causes the plants to grow? You can go to the store, but who's the one who empowers the farmers, the harvesters, the grocers? All of this is from God. And just because he does it so consistently, just because he has done it from the background, from the very beginning, it doesn't mean that we couldn't do it without him. I heard a story once, I suppose it's maybe more of a joke, that these scientists, they finally discovered how to create life. That they took dirt and they shot lightning into it and they had these specific chemicals and they created life. And the scientists said to God, I've created life. We're on equal ground here. And God said, that's very nice, but next time use your own dirt. It's all from God. It is all from God. But so easily we forget. So easily we proclaim our independence and our strength. We tell God, I need you for spiritual things. I can't earn forgiveness for myself. I know that, but the food thing. Don't worry, God. I, I got that one. You can take the day off. But to divide up our lives like this, to divide up our needs, you're saying, in effect, God, you're sovereign over only half my life. The stuff that's spiritual. Leave me alone when it comes to all that human stuff. And then how quickly that human stuff can expand. We can easily make arguments that, have everything, that everything to do with food and shelter is, is our arena. And from that, we can make a little leap to arguing that not only our houses belong to what's earthly, but everyone living in our house. My marriage, that's just a human thing. My children, naturally produced. 
And then, what's to stop us from claiming six days a week for ourselves? Only Sundays are for God. And our money, what's to stop us from claiming 90% for ourselves to spend however we want? Only a tithe belongs to God. And soon, we have slid all the way down that very slippery slope by assuming that God is not sovereign over every single aspect of our lives. When we give ourselves an inch, we will so very quickly take a mile. And so it's very important to remember, to acknowledge that this prayer is indeed about what is physical. Our catechism is exactly right. It is exactly right when it says, Provide us with all our bodily needs, so that we may acknowledge that you are the only fountain of all good, and that our care and labor and also your gifts cannot do us any good without your blessing. Grant, therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in you. Only in God. Our God, he is the God over the spiritual and the physical. And such qualifiers, they're not necessarily as useful as we think them to be. And so when we pray this prayer, we pray so that we would acknowledge our need, and we pray so that we would acknowledge our God. It's our second point. Let's examine our reading once more. Deuteronomy 8, verse 10. This is what Moses said, And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. The gift of physical things from the hand of our God not only reminds us of our need, as well as our trust for Him in him for our need, but it's also meant to remind us of who he is. And who is he? Who is our God? Well, as you can tell in the wording of the second point, it's not a difficult question. Who is God? God is God. It's right there. God is God. It's, it's simple, and yet sometimes it's the hardest thing in the world. Because as we continue to go through this prayer, praying, hallowed be your name, then our thoughts dwell on God's holiness, on his complete and total otherness. His distance from us. He's holy, we're not. When we pray, your kingdom come, our thoughts dwell on God's kingly majesty, his complete and total otherness. He's royal, we're common. He's distant from us. When we pray, your will be done, our thoughts dwell on God's wisdom, as far as the heavens are above the earth, his total otherness, his distance from us. And this is why it seems so out of place then for the fourth petition, for us to follow this with give us this day our daily bread. Not only because our minds are in that higher heavenly place, praying for spiritual things, but because our conception of God is in that higher heavenly place too. Why would a completely holy God listen to the plea of a sinner like me? Why would a completely majestic God listen to the prayer of a commoner like me? Why would a completely wise God listen to the prayer of a fool like me? But in all of this, have we forgotten who we're praying to? Have we forgotten? Our God is completely holy. He is completely majestic. He is completely wise. It's all true. But how did we address him at the beginning of our prayer? Do you remember what words come at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer? 
He is our Father. Our catechism explains this beautifully. It says, God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. I didn't plan this at all, but it's, it's fitting that I'm preaching this on Father's Day. Our Heavenly Father will much less deny us what we need than our earthly fathers will deny us earthly things. I see this example of, of Israel in the wilderness. Though God's holiness demanded punishment for His wayward people, His love demanded discipline. Discipline, teaching, discipling. And all of this was done in grace and mercy in love and compassion. God would have been completely justified in wiping out the nation of Israel for their sin, but he showed mercy. He chose to discipline instead of to punish for so many of them. Verse 2, we read of how he did this. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know nor did your fathers know. And again, verse 4, your clothing did not wear out on you, your foot did not swell these 40 years. For 40 years, even as God rebuked them, even as God punished them in the wilderness, he provided for their physical needs. He didn't look down on them because they were human, but he looked on them as a father looks on his children. He did this to teach them that he will provide for their needs. He provided for their spiritual needs with his law and for their physical needs with water and manna and quail. All of this from his hand. And then the blessings increased. After 40 years of loving care in the wilderness, God brought his people into their own land. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. You shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord for the good land that he has given you. That's the position where we are generally right now. Though Canada is not literally the promised land, we have been very blessed as a federation of churches. We truly have been. And in these blessings, in these blessings we have to be careful. We have to be careful not to put the blessings above the blesser. We have to be careful not to put the gifts above the giver. When God has blessed us so richly, we can easily forget that we have to still pray this petition. Think of the Israelites. In many ways, it was easier for the Israelites in the wilderness than in the promised land. It sounds ridiculous, but it's true. Look through their history. You can, you can see this. In the wilderness, though the wilderness had a grumbling Israel, the promised land had a godless Israel. In the wilderness, they questioned God's goodness to them, but in the land, they questioned his very existence, his worthiness of worship. They turned and served other gods. They made a show of their religion. In the wilderness, they never forgot about God, but in the land, they did nothing but forget. And so we have to be on our guard against this as well. Just as God gave Israel the promised land, or God has given us here in Canada an embarrassment of blessings. 
an absolute embarrassment of blessings. And because we are so weak in ourselves, because so often we don't pray this petition, we forget. Many of us don't have to live paycheck to paycheck, and so we begin to trust in our bank accounts a little too much. For so many of us, our fridges and our freezers and pantries are stocked full of food, and we don't have to gather food for the day, and so we think somehow we've escaped the day-to-day life of a human being. I worry that somehow we think we found a life hack, so to speak, that we don't need to pray this petition. Oh, this petition, it's really good for the citizens of Ukraine in their crisis. This petition is really good for those who are sick in the hospital. This petition is really good for the people on welfare. But I am above all of that. The average member of the church is above all of that. But here's the thing, you're not. You aren't above all of that. And so whether you think you need to pray this petition or not, it is important, it is vital to your spiritual life that you pray it. It's exactly as the Catechism so rightly concludes this Lord's Day. Grant, therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in you. And these aren't words just for the pagans. Withdraw your trust from Baal and put it in Yahweh. These words aren't just for the Roman Catholics. Withdraw your trust from the saints and put it in your Heavenly Father. These words are for us too. Withdraw your trust from yourself and put it in God. You might be an amazing businessman, but you're not God. You might be an expert saver. You might be savvy with the stock market, knowing the bear from the bull, but you're not God. Because who is the God that we're praying to? Who is this God that we're depending on? Well, he's the God that he always has been. The God who hand-fashioned Adam and Eve, who breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. He's the same God who watches over you day by day. The God who called Abraham and led him to a foreign land is the God who calls you to trust in him as he leads you through this life. The God who rained down manna and quail for the Israelites is the God who rains down blessings on you constantly, whether you recognize them or not. The God who protected and preserved his church from the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, and the Romans is protecting and preserving you right now. Beloved, we don't have to be ashamed of being human. We don't have to worry about being human. We don't have to worry about being needy because we know that our needs are provided. We know who our God is. and We know who he always will be, God. His care for his people will never wane or waver. As God, he will continue to provide for us day by day. And as his people... It is we who are to continue to trust in him day by day for the big as well as the small. And our trust will not be in vain, for his steadfast love is sure. It shall endure forevermore. Amen.